0: Welcome guys, welcome to the latest episode of the Heat Locker. My name's Luke Martin, and uh, we haven't done an episode for a couple of weeks now. We've been just some busy, busy stuff going on, and finally getting back to it. So we're testing out more of our new sound gear. Hopefully everything sounds good for you guys at your end, and um, we'll have uh, we'll get through some good content today. Before we go any further, just real quick, we want to uh, we want to thank. Our location here at sydney west martial arts for having us at their beautiful sauna i must admit it is mine so i didn't have to get too much permission but uh sydney west martial arts definitely the place you want to come and train if you're looking for some submission grappling brazilian jiu-jitsu mixed martial arts striking you name it come along jump in the class and and go from there we've got a really awesome group of people down here and doing lots of fun stuff uh, we'll also thank our sponsors of this podcast, which is Endless Combat. Their website is endlesscombat.com, and who they are—they're an Australian, Australian, I should say, uh, Jiu Jitsu mixed martial arts clothing brand. They do rash guards, shorts, jumpers, hats, and uh, their their training apparel really is really is phenomenal. So. If you would like to go to their website, have a look around. If you want to grab anything from there and uh, save yourself, want to save yourself 10%, use the promo code HEATLOCKER10 and that'll get you 10% off when you check out at the end of uh, grabbing something. So we don't have a guest today. Today what my idea is, and this may or may not be something that works, I'm really not too sure. We'll just see how it goes. What I'm trying to... What I'm hoping to do today is a guy that I study a lot, a jiu-jitsu coach, a a martial arts coach that I study a lot, his name is John Danaher, and um, anyone that trains here knows that, and John Danaher is a pretty phenomenal mind, and he, uh, I don't know, maybe a year and a bit ago, he decided that he'd get on social media and jumped on Facebook and Instagram and, and started putting out these pretty prolific posts in relation to training, and just just put out these little gold little little nuggets of gold that that really are really make you think and and they're, they're deep and they give you some insight into technique and some insight into concepts and they're really good stuff but John, John the way John is he's a he's a intricate deep sort of ph- philosophy sort of based guy and the way he explains himself is he's fantastic and, it, and you know it makes perfect sense to me but he does these posts that are maybe you know, I don't know how many words, but your average Instagram post is like three, three, uh, three words and then a, a chicken in a bikini, and then you've got John doing these posts of absolute brilliance, but because they're long, I think a lot of people just don't, don't read them, and they flick by, and maybe they like them just because they like the picture or something, but um, I feel like there's a lot getting lost there. So what my idea was is to go through, and I'm not going to go through all of them just because it's... Gonna to take too much time, but I want to just see whether it's something that even interests people. You might be able to listen to this in the car, or listen to it going to bed, or whatever makes sense to you. And it might get you a bit of an insight into into Danaher's mind. So um, I hope John doesn't mind me using. I'm not trying to steal his content. I'm just actually just trying to break down exactly what he's what he's putting out there that people aren't necessarily reading. That maybe they'll like in a um, <coughs> in a post. So. Uh, if you want to find his Instagram page, if you're not following him already, it's Danaher John. So D-A-N-A-H-E-R-J-O-H-N, Danaher John. He, uh, he's got about 150,000 followers, which is, I don't know, pretty successful, Successful, I think. It's no, no Kim Kardashian numbers, but I think that's not too bad for a jiu-jitsu coach. Uh, for those that don't know who John is, he's, a, he's actually a Kiwi-born um, gentleman. He's about 50 years old. I think definitely probably one of the best, if not the best, submission grappling or grappling coach in the in the world. His uh, he's, his mind for martial arts is just, I think, a brilliant. So uh, I had a chance to go and train with him. He he's the head coach or one of the head coaches out of Henzo Gracie Academy in New York City, and um, he's created some of the some of the top submission grapplers in the world. He's taken some young guys that have been only training for shorter periods of time compared to their counterparts and have gone in and won things like the ADCC and uh, you know obviously the EBI and uh, a bunch of other submission grappling stuff. Um, he's known for his leg locking system, uh, but that's not the only thing these guys are good at, but that's what he's sort of known for. If you were to ask the average punter, they'd probably say something about leg locks if, if you mentioned John Danaher. Mm-hmm. He's got a really good uh, DVD out at the moment. If you're interested in that, definitely jump on BJJ Fanatics and find his DVD. It's it's the most comprehensive and definitely the best that I've come across. Uh, the, the content is just second to none. And if you're um, if you're at academy where maybe they're not teaching it much and, and and you've sort of got a bit of a bit of an interest, definitely that's the direction that you want to go to to get yourself some more knowledge in relation to leg locking. So um, yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. So I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and scroll down to, This just might take me a little bit. So just bear with me. I'm going to try and scroll down to sort of his first post of this year, and then we'll work back, we'll work back, um, chronologically to the present day. And if it's something you guys like in future, well, what I can do is sort of go, go right back and we can go back to the beginning. But you know, like I said, this is just an idea. It might not it might not be of interest to people. It might be. I don't know. But I, I, I sort of think like a lot of people scoot past this. And <clears throat> what I'll also maybe try and do is, if it doesn't make sense, I'll try to maybe interpret what what John's trying to say. But by no means am I the John Danaher whisperer. I, yeah, uh, that's a bit much, a bit big-headed of me to even assume that I that I would be able to work that out, but I've got a little bit of an idea of what I think he's trying to get across. So, I'm gonna, generally what I'm gonna do is I'll I'll read the the post and if we need to go through it, we'll go from there. So, uh, the first post was on the 3rd of January and it's got a picture. I'll try and basically work out the picture. The picture is Gordon Ryan, who's one of Danaher's top students. Uh, with the back of Yuri Samoyes. Yuri Samoyes is a multiple-time world champion and uh, has now actually been beaten twice by Gordon Ryan, which is, which is a pretty big feat for, for a young guy who's, you know, Dr. Gordon's only, I think, 21 years old, which is just crazy. And um, the text reads, Relaxation, Tension, and Body Geometry. A huge part of your success or failure in grappling will come down to your ability to control your opponent's movements, down to your uh, by fitting the geometry of your body into the geometry of his, in ways that maximise contact and connection, and thus in, inhibit movement through connection rather than muscular strength. The insight you must gain is that the only way to mould your body into the geometry of your opponent's body is to relax and soften your own body. However, the only way to keep yourself locked into that position is to tighten yourself. Thus, you must play, <clears throat> you must play the same delicate balancing act between relaxation and tension that a python does when it wraps around its prey. You must be soft when moving to fit into your opponent, then tighten to solidify your, your position once there. Often you'll have to work in cycles of tension and relaxation to get the job done. Here Gordon Ryan shows superb conformity to the shape of his opponent's body, making possible by relaxation, but also tightness to, the hold, him, to hold himself once there against a very skilled opponent like Yuri Samois as he patiently works towards a match-winning strangle. <clears throat> Just bear with me, guys. i have coming off being a little bit sick, and my, my throat's really dry, so I'm going to be coughing a little bit. So I apologize for that. Basically, what John's saying here, if you didn't catch on, especially people that are new to jujitsu, they tend to be sort of all on or off, meaning their whole body is going crazy. Their whole body's full of tension, and they're they're holding with every ounce of their energy, and they do that until they run out of out of gas, and then and then the next step is to sort of. Uh, Run, run out of gas, and then be be in a lot of trouble. So, what John's trying to say here is, there's going to be times when you're going to have to be a little more fluid and a little softer and make your way around their body, and then there's going to be times to tighten. Um, this this definitely comes with experience, but if you can at least be aware of this, I think any good jujitsu player really does this already. And some some of these posts are longer than others, guys. So here's here's a shorter one. And in the picture, it's got John, looks like he's talking, um, <clears throat> looks to me from the background like he's at TriStar. So TriStar is a academy up in Montreal run by Farras Sahabi, another brilliant guy. Faras is um, the head coach of George St-Pierre, who is widely thought to be the, the number one mixed martial artist in the world. And um, John happens to be Farras' uh, jiu-jitsu coach. He gave Farras his black belt in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So it seems like brilliant guys sort of stick together um in this one john writes there are three things in which i have total faith and upon which i have built my career the laws of physics the ability of a well-constructed and rational training program to improve performance in a given task so that over the time to- over time people can overcome obstacles and fears and get to their goals and the ability of a few highly motivated and skilled people to create change across an entire population of people, in a world of doubt and uncertainty, I would stake my life upon these. <coughs> John's also a um, philosophy major, and that's what he was doing. I think he was actually teaching philosophy at university prior to to starting as a as a martial arts coach, and it, it was starting to do it full time. So. He's very very philosophical in in his uh, in his words in the next post the pictures Gary tonin competing uh, at an ebi event um, I remember watching this match actually because I recognized the guy that he's competing with this other guy was a very skilled uh, very skilled guy who didn't want to tap <coughs> to a bunch of leglock attacks uh, John writes, two forms of grappling aggression. There are two primary forms of aggression and attacking grappling submission and position. Interestingly, the threat of each is maximized only when you threaten both equally. The squad is primarily known for our heavy emphasis on submission attacks, but we never overlook the need for constant and strong positional attacks at the same time. For, for only when there is a dual threat to provoke, strong defensive reactions, will the opportunity for submissions arise. Conversely, only when there is a danger of submissions will it be easier to work uh, your way to better positions. This constant interplay between position and submission at all times, rather than only positional attacks first and then submission attacks, is a distinctive feature of our game. Most people use the position-submission duality as a sequence, position first, then submission. We like to do this also, but often use it as a dilemma, threaten both at all uh, both at all times, and make it much easier to attain. Here, Gary Toner applies strong passing positional pressure to open up a submission opportunity on the legs that would take him to victory in this match. So, um, you know, a big thing in jiu-jitsu, and I remember one of my coaches earlier on. He used to be a big believer in he'd say position before submission. He'd say it over and over. He'd say it like a mantra. And uh, you know what he said wasn't wrong. It, it made sense. He was a big believer in do not do not give up the position for something that may be there. Uh, you know, only take it once it's once it's definitely going to be there. But sometimes against really good guys, they might not present you with that op- opportunity. So what John's saying here is he likes you to use those use both of those ideas at once. So don't necessarily look at them as it's some type of hierarchy where you have to do one before the other he's he's saying that their guys threaten both both position and submission at the same time and then sort of take whatever pops its head up and i must say like i've been trying to apply this more recently and and definitely it makes a makes a big difference so the next post is a uh not not a meme but it's, yeah i suppose so there's no there's no text underneath there's just text on the picture and it says anybody can watch the action unfold the point is to anticipate it and decide upon an effective response. <clears throat> and what the picture is, is, uh, is him and Gordon, and I don't recognise the other guy, I think it's one of Gary's mates, uh, cornering at an EBI event. Basically what he's saying there from a coaching perspective, anyone can watch along, but he's trying to come up with a game plan and in real time and come up with a you know the best answer to the question that the opponent's throwing out there for his guy and be able to do it. Normally in a couple of words is what he does. So little little post there on coaching. Uh, The next post, this must have been around the time that uh, George St-Pierre was going to fight Michael Bisbing because the pitcher is Bisbing with the belt and uh, George St-Pierre shaping up with him. And Danaher writes, Facing your challenges and fears, a huge part of the martial arts journey is bound up with the notion of Confident in overcoming tough challenges and deep fears. The very nature of martial arts is that of dealing with confrontation, conflict and violence. Any kind of confrontation is likely to create some level of fear response to it. The question is, how will you deal with it? I've seen a myriad of ways in which different athletes have to overcome anxieties to win. So many, in fact, that I don't believe there is one right way to do it. It will come down to the individual preferences. I've always found, however, that one approach always seems to help in those times where fear, doubt and anxiety threatens to in- inhibit your performance and prevent you getting to your goals. You must avoid the two pitfalls that compound fear and anxiety. Sorry, let me say that again. You must avoid the two pitfalls that, that compound fear and anxiety and which lead to indecision and paraly- uh, paralysis in those critical times when decisive and well-directed actions are necessary. These are inactivity and indecision. Show me a man feeling fear before a major event who is inactive and lacking any plan of action once the event begins and I'll show you a man whose fear levels increase with every passing minute as the deadline approaches. The surest way to to relieve anxiety is to have a clear plan of operations as to what you want to do and be active in your preparation to enact that plan. In all my years coaching, I've seen every kind of psychological counselling, visualisation, hypnosis, etc. I've never seen a better antidote to anxiety than, in, than intelligently directed activity. Let planning and activity be your sword and shield whenever fear and anxiety threatens to overwhelm your ability to perform. When you're alone with your fears, they will be your guardians. So some deep stuff here from John, and he he's a, he's pretty good with all his punctuation, but sometimes it gets a bit hard to read, and some things are in capitals. So if I'm struggling there, I, I apologize. I'm just trying to get it to flow well. Um, yeah, he, he's he's uh he's basically saying here that you've got to be prepared. Just pretending that the anxiety doesn't exist is not going to help you, and um. You know, he's saying inactivity and indecision are going to be the ones. So he's a big believer in plans and, and, and having a, a sort of pretty, pretty well-directed plan of what you're going to achieve. Bit, bit of deep stuff there by John. <coughs> okay. Uh, the next one is a picture of Joe Rogan, Joe uh, interviewing George St. Pierre, Joe sitting there doing some stretching. So it's a bit of a multiple picture in one there. And John writes, I'm very happy to say that next Monday I shall join the Joe, Ro- Joe Rogan on his weekly podcast discussing Jiu-Jitsu and the squad along with other topics. Mr. Rogan is a great student of the game and very adept to the Tenth Planet style of Jiu-Jitsu as well as the more conventional style of Jiu-Jitsu. He's a great voice of the sport who has done a tremendous job of trying to educate MMA viewers of the subtleties of all forms of Jiu-Jitsu and grappling, not just Tenth Planet as some claim. In UFC competition. Once I was at a dinner and was asked who I believe was the most most influential person in jiu-jitsu. I surprised everyone by answering that is probably Joe Rogan. My reasoning was that he talks to a larger audience than anyone. And does so with a passion that has probably brought more people to the sport than any other athlete. It will be a pleasure to talk with him and his friends about the game. So this was awesome. This uh, this blew everyone's mind. This is John... uh, going on joe rogan's podcast if you don't listen to rogan's podcast jump on and have a listen and if you uh get a chance listen to to john talking with him i think most people have listened to it they uh they covered everything and it was phenomenal i'm not even gonna go into it any more than that um next picture is Nikki ryan who's one of the young students uh it's him uh with the back choking someone and uh it's just a it's just a meme with the text reading when teaching it is not how much you show in class that counts it's how much the student retains when he or she walks out the front door and and the door and brings back tomorrow that determines progress um, so John doesn't just put out stuff about about uh, you know people as as uh, athletes he also goes into sort of the coaching aspect of things and yeah I mean what he's what he's saying there is um, there's an old saying that I got told that I like. Um, if you want to, if you want to, if you want someone to learn nothing, show them everything. It's along those lines, and and sometimes just bulk content is not what people need, and uh, you know it's more about what they can retain and what they can then continue to use, especially in Jiu-Jitsu. If you make it way too difficult, no one's picking up anything. You might find that. Um, they're not going. They're not going to progress. Now, if you make it so simple, you might be teaching things that are so simple that they're not actually going to be able to be utilized against another another good player. So there's a, there's obviously a balancing act. But uh, the way John explains things in the room and the way he coaches is is really quite impressive. Okay, so the next next picture is Gordon Ryan. He's got uh, somebody's back. I, don't, I can't see who that is. And John writes: the essential nature of jujitsu is control leading to submission. All the various forms of control have a common theme: to restrict, stop, and direct movement. Ultimately, your goal is to make an opponent's own body unable to respond to the com- to the commands and wishes of his mind, and thus to make your mind master of his body. Then you have true control. There's some beautiful words, basically saying that you, if you're if you're a really good player, you end up basically making your opponent a, into a bit of a puppet for yourself. And then anyone that's been uh you know a reasonable level above someone else and grappled with them you you can you can definitely get that feeling of what that's like next picture is john looks like at a seminar coaching some guys uh actually i'll move past that he's just talking about uh just talking about seminars. The seminar so there's no need to go through that uh now you've got uh next picture is John. He's at the, the Blue Basement, which is the Henzo Gracie Academy in New York City. And uh, John's sitting there. There's a shot from behind a camera. So it looks like there's a camera there. So he's doing some type of filming of of something. And then uh, he writes story time. The Henzo Gracie Academy has been a center of the jiu-jitsu training of jiu-jitsu training for almost 25 years in New York City. In that time, so much has happened. So much has changed and so much more to be done. Luca Ottola of Gracie magazine took time to interview me with regards to the early days of the academy, Mr. Gracie's approach to teaching and why he produced such a list of champions. I also talked about teaching the MMA athletes who came into the academy to work on ground skills, the early days of the squad and other subjects. In time, this should be released uh, on henzagracie.com. Lots of cherished memories and a great cast of characters. I didn't, uh, I haven't had a chance to see that stuff, but John's a pretty good storyteller, I'm sure it was interesting. Uh, next one's, next one's about him, um, yeah, not, not all that relevant, I don't think. Next one's about him going somewhere on a plane, stuck in traffic, not really relevant for us. Yep. Yeah, next one's about a seminar, not overly relevant next picture is um, some of the squad so there's a picture of Jason Rao, Frank Rosenthal uh, a few of the other guys there uh, strangling some guys in competition and John Wrights. meanwhile back in New York the squad juniors went on a rampage this weekend at the Rise Invitational Grappling Competition last night my great friend and Hanzo Grassi alumni Matt Serra has a very talented student Jason Rowell who is, seen, who is sent to train with us. Mr. Rao has worked hard to become one of the best in the room and last night defeated 10th Planet standout John Thor blank by submission. In addition, Frank Rosenthal showcased his rapid improvement by winning gold uh, in the event in an eight-man tournament. Basically, he's giving some props to, to some of the guys who, who are part of the squad. Uh, on a side note, Jason Rowell that he's talking about there. He's a the guy that I... Um, became pretty good mates with uh, when I was over there, and have since done a bunch of training with, and and, and I can attest like that guy is, that guy's phenomenal. We're actually bringing him out to Australia. We're going to be bringing him out um, out here to Sydney in um, in early September, first of September he's coming out. So anyone that's interested and wants to jump on and wants to jump on board and some seminars, let us know here at uh, Sydney West Martial Arts because we'll be getting Jason Rao out, and you get a chance to really get some some info straight from the horse's mouth the next picture is a picture of joe rogan and john Danaher. it looks like they're at joe's new studio so i think this must have been the day that they did the podcast john writes joe rogan and i finish up podcast on various jujitsu and mma related themes in la afterwards mr rogan demonstrated some fascinating thoughts on the use of lead leg and turning sidekicks for mma showing very impressive power and speed I really believe that the influence Mr. Rogan, um, that the influence Mr. Rogan is one of the main reasons why ground fighting is still a big part in the UFC events. In an age where most fans want to see two fighters work in standing position, he constantly encourages and educates fans on the value of ground fighting. As such, he's done a huge service, service to the sport of jujitsu. It was a pleasure to talk with him today. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Alright, next picture is George St. Pierre, looks like when he fought John Fitch, he's in, uh, in the, in the uh, UFC cage actually fighting, and this one's a relatively long post. The three great keys to combat, of all the activities that humans can partake in, none is more chaotic and unpredictable than fighting. The whole purpose of martial arts is to use knowledge and training to control the outcome of combat, to control chaos. The history of combat sports clearly shows that there are definite limits to our ability in our ability to do this. In a world of uncertainty, the best we can do is stack the odds in our favor as best we can. When I coach, I constantly stress to my athletes that the need to assert themselves in three critical aspects of combat sports that play a huge role in determining the in determining the probability of the outcome the athlete who can control the direction of the fight, the pace of the fight, and control the setups and precursors to the main moves used by both athletes, will win the vast majority of the matches he or she enters. This is a huge topic that cannot be addressed in an Instagram post, but I I shall give a simplified example. George St-Pierre is a quintessential example of an athlete whose career was built around their three general keys to combat. Mr. Saint Pierre also, Mr. Saint Pierre always was able to immediately dictate the most basic direction of a fight. If he wanted the fight on the floor, he could put it there um, at will with his double leg. If he wanted to remain standing, he was notoriously difficult to take down and hold down. With regards to pace, he was always capable of slowing a match on the fence and tiring a dangerous puncher there. He could always return to the center and increase speed and generate movement that would set up double legs in the open. With regards to setups, in standing position he had a complete arsenal of feints, misdirections, jabs and linked superman punches that enabled him to use the king weapon, the double leg. On the floor he had an elaborate collection of protocols and striking from guard that created pressure to set up his queen weapon, strong striking allied to guard passing that led to either submission, TKO or a dominance that won the round. In the chaos of fighting, we can never fully determine the outcome, but devoting your time to the study of these three aspects of combat will al- always give you your best chance. So the three the three things that he's talking about there, just to recap, was the pace of the fight, the direction of the fight, and using setups. I mean, if you watch George George St. Pierre, he is He's the man. He probably dictated the control of more fights than maybe any other fighter in history. Maybe, Khabib, I don't know, if you look nowadays. So then uh, the next picture is John. He's in, uh, he's in like a uh, leg entanglement. He's in a Grami. He's teaching a seminar here. And he writes, Make it memorable. The fundamental problem of teaching in Jiu-Jitsu... The main concern of most teachers in Jiu-Jitsu is the information they give to their students. How much, how complex, etc. The study of Jiu-Jitsu is never about how much information you take in. It is about how much will you be able to recall and use under severe stress. Retention, not output, is the central problem of Jiu-Jitsu instruction. As such, we need to we need effective methods of improving students' ability to recall the large amounts of information we churn out. The most important method will always be the most basic, simple repetition. There are are others, however, that I find very effective. One of my favourites is the question and answer method. When students are spoon-fed information, they're not actively engaged in the learning process and tend to see themselves as a passive role that quickly leads to inattention, boredom, and inability to recall what was taught. Whenever I can, I try to make the students part of the lesson through engaging them in questions and answer dialogue where they have to work towards an answer. This creates independent and innovative problem solvers rather than robotic followers. It also creates a strong memory association with their learning experience that greatly aids retention. The teacher guides the discussion by asking questions that lead the student in a direction in a given direction and the student works for the answers, this leads to a cycle of curiosity, frustration, insight and satisfaction that engages the student and creates a learning process and answers that are both memorable and beneficial. One day the student will be able to put himself through that cycle and think autonomously. Things we are given for free we attach only small value to. Those things we work for we value and cherish. This applies to knowledge as well. Beautiful stuff there, from a from a coaching perspective. But even as a, even as a, uh, you know, as a practitioner, that might make, that might make some sense there as to how um, how you accept the knowledge or how how your coach is teaching you. The next, uh, the next picture is Gary Tonin in the blue basement at, at Hanzo's and it's a picture of him actually sparring in, in small small gloves. Uh, Gary was preparing for, for a transition into mixed martial arts. John writes, new directions, new skills. Gary Tonin goes through his MMA sparring uh, with GS someone's uh, Instagram. It's never an easy transition for a great single-discipline athlete to transition mid-career to MMA. The sudden influx of new skills can be overwhelming physically and daunting mentally. Elite athletes are well aware of what good athletic performance feels like in their own discipline. So to begin a white belt in three or four new disciplines can be very unsettling. They feel very strong, the contrast between their high skill level in their established domain and their lack of skills in the new areas. Ultimately, however, one has to strive to move forward and believe that time and training will work their magic just as they did when they first began. In the end, it's a healthy reminder that we are all still white belts in most areas of life and that the general spirit and desire to learning is more important than the knowledge we may have stumbled upon thus far. All right. We'll skip through the next one. He's talking about training with Freddie Roach. This one you might find interesting. So there's a picture of John and he's got a rash guard on. For those that don't know John, he wears rash guards um, incessantly. He wears them everywhere. He he, he's, he wore them too. I think Matt Sarah's wedding, he wore a, wore a rash guard too. It's like a point that most people talk to him about. And he writes here, rash guards, part one. Arguably... The question I am asked more than any other has nothing to do with jiu-jitsu. Why do you always wear a rash guard? First, let me dispel a commonly voiced but incorrect theory. It has nothing to do with with fighting or being ready for fights. In my current physical state, an aggressive five-year-old could easily defeat me with a simple kick to the knee or hip, or even a push. A rash guard isn't going to save me. My reasons are purely practical. First, they're very comfortable. Second... They're easily washed and dried. Third, they're extremely low-maintenance, wrinkle-free, easily packed for travel. Fourth, being a low-friction material, they're well-adapted to wear under a jacket. Fifth, they enable me to um, comfortably demonstrate a technique in an impromptu social situation to students. Sixth, they're warm in, uh, in cold weather, yet cooling in hot summers due to their wicking effects. And if caught in a rainstorm, they will dry in minutes, even while being worn. Seventh, some clothing companies sponsor and support my athletes. I'm proud to represent any company that supports my people. Eight, they are, fr- uh, they are free as clothing companies are happy to see me wear their products. Nine, there is considerable variation in rash guard design that can vary from informal daily wear to more formal, more formal wear for dates and occasions. When it comes to comfort and utility and low maintenance, I have rash guards and a fanny pack. If I find something more comfortable in the future, I'll switch to that. I may not be aesthetically pleasing, but I'm already rather ugly and odd-looking, so I don't even bother with clothing aesthetics as looks, and not my uh, as my looks are a lost cause. If I had to rely on looks and charm for anything in life, I'd be a homeless beggar already. So he's got a sense of humor. He's a funny guy, John, and um, yeah, but he's he. He's definitely maybe slightly eccentric might be the word there because, um, yeah, he, he wears a rash guard everywhere. I, I, I never saw him without one. I think most people haven't, haven't seen him without one, so uh, all power to him. Just give me a moment, guys. I've uh, accidentally lost our place, so I'm just going back through and getting ourselves to... the position i'm hoping that you're enjoying it so far and i'm hoping that it that it's all making sense i'm doing my best to not over explain um, but hopefully you get an idea of exactly what what's going on with all this Uh, where are we where are we sorry guys just instagram kicked me back a page for some reason a lot of posts we may not be able to make our way all the way back to where I wanted to today but we'll make our way through maybe an hour or so and if it's something that you guys are interested in and want to hear more of I'll continue to do that and if it's something that people don't care about we'll we'll leave it there and you guys can read, read your own posts in relation to Danaher. Oh, he's written another one about rash guards. Hmm. There we go. Rash part two. Now it's time for a rash guard story that may change the minds of some of the vast numbers of rash guard doubters out there. I'm an admirer of the great MMA fighter Jose Aldo. Anytime he fights, I'm watching. The night he fought Uriah Faber, I wanted to see it. I don't own a television, so I suggested to a bunch of my students that we go to a sports bar on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and watch it live. And watch the great men at work. As always, I was running a little late and came in wearing my usual attire and began looking around for our table. Now my students and I actively seek out every opportunity to prank, ridicule, ridicule, make fun of each other. Uh, my general weirdness gives them lots of raw material to work with. The entire group of them had dressed in rash guards and fanny packs. As I sat down, there was a notable look from pretty much the entire bar. Um, as they all simultaneously asked the question, who the fuck are these dorks and why are they dressed in those gimp outfits? We all started laughing and started to watch the show. Out of nowhere, groups of women started to come up to our table, asking who we were and why we were dressed like that. Were we a sports team, cyclists, triathletes, lunatics, morons? Suddenly our table was neck deep in curious babes and hotties, and the Jose Aldo fight was completely forgotten. Every single one of my students got multiple multiple phone numbers, end action out of that escapade. I was the only failure. The dudes at the bar were furious and could not understand how a a bunch of dorks in wetsuits looked like they had been beamed down from the deck of the Starship Enterprise had gotten all the female attention. So who knows, maybe you doubters out there, ought to give it a try. My rush guard system worked well for my students. as my leg lock system. Perhaps it can work for you too. He's definitely got a sense of humour, John. It's hard to hard to appreciate that when you first meet him, but he's definitely got it in there. Next is a picture of Gordon Ryan and his little brother, Nicky. Uh, he, John writes, The Ryan brothers get in recognition. This weekend, the Flow Grappling Awards for the 2017 were announced. Squad stand, announced Gordon and Nicky Ryan were rewarded for an outstanding year. Nikki Ryan won Juvenile Grappler of the Year after a double bronze at the US ADCC Senior Trials and going on to be the youngest entrant in the history of ADCC World Championships at just 16 years of age. Big brother Gordon Ryan won the award for Best Grappler no Gi Submission of the Year with his uh, uh, superb guillotine variation upon the great Keenan Cornelius to win ADCC Gold as part of the biggest medal haul in a debut performance in the history of the event. We're also proud of these two brothers and deeply impressed by the dedication and hard work they put into these awards. Interestingly, Henzo Gracie Academy had two nominations for Juvenile of the Year. Fellow 16-year-old phenom, Hayron uh, Gracie, was also nominated by Sensei Henzo. And I'm very happy indeed to see the future of the Academy strongly represented by these two outstanding youngsters next post is uh, jo- uh, is uh, Gary Tonin doing some MMA sparring and a picture of Jake Shields as well. Danaher writes doing time. Whenever you start a new enterprise, there is a period where you have to start off at the bottom and take your lumps. A well-run and progressive training program can shorten this time. but can never eliminate it. It is up to the athlete to work through it as long as necessary until he or she um, until his or her stint is over. I see this all the time, evening grappling. We all want new skills, but they don't come overnight. There is to be several attributes in the athlete if he or she is to get through the frustration of the early learning process. First, patience. Second, resilience. And third, faith. Faith. Patience to let the time work. It's magic. Resilience to take the early knocks and go the distance required. And faith that a program will create in time that changes needed to take you to your goals. Let me say that again. Patience to let time work its magic. Resilience to take the early knocks and go the distance required. And faith that a program will create in time the changes needed to take you to your goals. All of us have to do our time, not just a white belt. But every time we incorporate new techniques and tactics into our game. The ability to endure, endure these times is the key to progress. Here, Gary Tonin does his time just a couple of months in MMA sparring with the formidable Jake Shields. Next is a picture of John teaching at a seminar, and he writes, Techniques and Principles. The underlying principles of Jiu-Jitsu, and indeed all combat sports, are as fixed and unyielding as the night sky, rooted as they are in the unchanging strengths and weaknesses of the mind and physical bodies of man. The techniques of Jiu-Jitsu, on the other hand, change with the rapidity of of the waters of a river, since they are the result of the the restless minds of men who endlessly seek out innovation, change and study in order to gain competitive advantage over each other. Excellence in Jiu-Jitsu must always involve study of both. Once learned, the principles will provide the unmoving bedrock Upon to which your understanding of the sport will be based. Technique, on the other hand, you will have to continually update and adapt as it evolves around you. This is uh, yeah, this is good stuff. This is really good stuff. He's um, he's right on the cutting edge of, of new technique as well. Um, but you can really see his his sort of philosophy-based mind coming out in some of this stuff. Okay, so the next one is John, uh, the pictures him teaching at a seminar. He's got an outside ashy, he looks like he's got an outside heel hook there. The guy looks like his leg's about to explode. And uh, John writes, the four mechanical pillars upon which my approach to jiu-jitsu is based. A huge part of my approach to jiu-jitsu is based around what I believe are the four most important mechanical underpinnings of the sport. These are the principle of leverage and fulcrum, the principle of wedge and inclined plane, The principle of directionality of force and the the principle of Kazushi, off-balancing. Through the lens of these four mechanical principles, I see most of the sport of Jiu-Jitsu. Everything I teach, every question I ask and every answer I offer will make reference to at least one of these principles. Lever and Fulcrum are widely talked about. They are force manipulators which can make the weakest man strong. Wedges are used to immobilize and inhibit a direct movement, among other things. Think of a humble little doorstop that can hold any door open, even in a hurricane. With regards to your own force, a fundamental measure of its efficiency and effect will be be the degree to which you apply the force in the appropriate direction. So often we apply large amounts of force in the wrong directions, when a much smaller amount of force in the right direction would have garnered much better results. Kazushi is off-balancing, refers to our capacity to move an object's center of gravity beyond its base of support and and destabilize it to create openings for attack. Kano wisely saw the value of these in standing positions. One of my biggest goals is to extend its use into bottom position ground grappling, where it can play a tremendous role in advancing our bottom game. I teach Jiu-Jitsu as a primarily mechanical enterprise backed up by biomechanical and tactical elements. In the future, I will talk more about these critical notions, show me any move in the sport, and I will show you at least three of these four concepts are involved in its operation. Once you learn to observe the sport through these concepts, you will see a very different sport indeed. Three of these four mechanical underpinnings have been widely discussed for generations, but the principle of the wedge has never been emphasised in Jiu-Jitsu. One of my primary goals as a teacher... Is to change this. Again, pure gold here by John, and uh, you start to get a bit of an insight into his mind of why he's so brilliant. I mean, he's he's not just teaching, he's not just teaching uh, what he was told and what he was taught. He's applying those concepts, but he's he's just peeling back layers and levels like like I don't think anyone else has or is, and I think he's a pretty brilliant mind. Um, this does seem like a big love fest for him, but you know he's the he's the one that's coming up with all this. So, um, you know, if he was dead and we're looking back in two or three hundred years, I think we'll look back and be quite impressed on on what the way his mind works. So, you know, I'm going to make the most of it while while he's here. Okay probably going to start to wrap it up soon so i'm just going to do a couple more again guys if you like this if you're interested please leave in the comment section whether you found it on facebook or in the uh in the soundcloud let us know if it's something you're interested in um you know i'll I'll progress and and we'll keep going and see whether we can break down more of what he's thinking or just have the ability for you to listen to this rather than having to try and read it all uh this picture is nicky ryan he's underneath in like an x-card position And Danaher writes, Teaching via heuristics. When I teach, I try hard to find a satisfactory compromise between precise details, which are necessary for efficient application of techniques, and the heuristics, general rules of thumb, that give the athlete a broad insight that guides the direction of their techniques. For example, I could sit in front of you all day and teach a thousand details on variations of Ashigarami. Some would be of great value. Many would have less value. However, none will have as much immediate value to you as a general heuristic, as a general heuristic that points you in the right direction in the overwhelming majority of applications and is simple enough to learn once you once and you will never forget it. You can use it tomorrow and it will never let you down. So if I say the athlete whose feet dominate the inside position will always dominate the Ashigarami game, this is a simple heuristic that I push upon all my athletes and which guides so much of their behavior in a simple, memorable way that can guide them for a lifetime. Of course, the heuristic must be backed up by technical details and a training program. But if the fundamental insight that can change more than behavior, it can change your way of thinking about the leg game and get you thinking independently about where you go to from here. Here, Nikki Ryan shows the benefits of good inside position, a skill at which he excels as he enters a variation of Ashigurami in a tough session at Henzo Gracie Academy. All right, this will be the last one. This one's just a, uh, a meme. It's got uh, Gordon Ryan competing against Cyborg Abreu at the uh, ADCC finals. And it says, Jiu-Jitsu is an art and its canvas is a human body. A good understanding of the workings of the body is essential if excellence is is to be obtained yeah i mean i uh, i've done a i've done my cert three and cert four in fitness and the more i understood about anatomy and the way that joints and muscles and tendons and ligaments, the way it moves it it helped my jiu-jitsu game you know more than i thought it would i didn't even realize that it would the more you understand how each thing works, the more you can either use that to your advantage or use it to your advantage to break down somebody else's body. Uh, You know, John understands that more than anyone else. And, you know, that's when he talks about biomechanics. All right. Well, that takes us up to, that's literally what I'll do. I'll do three more because that'll take us through all of January. And that's just January. The next one is a packed house at Henzo Gracie in the blue basement. And John writes, Any given Monday, teaching the big Monday class at Henzo's is always a source of joy and pride to me. It began mostly as a no-gi grappling class that had a strong element of MMA ground skills woven in. And any given Monday, you could see a large number of MMA athletes mixed with jiu-jitsu players working their skills on the floor. One day, ace jiu-jitsu photographer Luco Atala was talking, uh, taking pictures and caught this fairly typical scene from years ago. George St-Pierre, the great Hodge Gracie, Homolo Braille, Gregor Gracie, a very young-looking Gary Tonin, and his mentor, Tom DeBlas, along with Sean Williams and my dear sensei, Henzo Gracie, surrounded by 60 other people in the room. Everyone was getting ready for upcoming matches. Some MMA, if I remember correctly, it was prior to George St-Pierre's Condit fight. Some of Jiu-Jitsu, Uh, some jiu-jitsu, but it was great looking at these old images of the Titanic wars that were fought every Monday as the athletes fought towards their goals. It's been my privilege over the years to watch so many of the greatest jiu-jitsu and MMA athletes test their ideas and concepts, um, the concepts I teach, and give the best possible feedback that made it easy for me to see what was working, uh, what was not, and what could be improved upon, or what should be abandoned. I could not have had a better group of people over two decades to develop ideas and theories and test them in such a harsh proving ground. I can attest that that mat is a shark tank. It's the the, most dangerous that I've ever stepped foot on. It's ridiculous. Okay. Next one is uh, a couple of students here laughing. And John writes, Jiu-Jitsu and humour. Anyone who's trained for even a short... Length of time in Jiu-Jitsu or any other combat sport will tell you that sometimes the grind can be rather taxing. All combat sports have a high attrition rate. Jiu-Jitsu is no exception. I find that humour is probably the single best means of which students bonding together with their teachers. When I teach, I try to use a sense of humour as a means of making an important point memorable. We tend to remember things that made us laugh. I also like to see students joking about the game themselves and each other after class. That's usually a healthy sign that they're getting along, well and building the camaraderie that is essential to a long-lasting and unified room. Visitors are quite often shocked at the constant pranks, off-colour jokes, teasing and taunting that we engage after class. Almost nothing is off limits. We, of course, this is a serious game where the success is measured in the capability to break people's limbs and strangle them in a, in a highly competitive setting. So during training time, it has to be all business. Finding the compromise between work and fun takes time and varies from gym to gym. The value of humour to make important information memorable and to build camaraderie cannot be underestimated. But two, the danger of letting a room descend into a clownish atmosphere um, that can kill progress cannot be underestimated. Ultimately, you'll have to judge whether you've gotten the balance right by the results of the students and their attention and information of their willingness to stay in the program. When students think of their training as a fascinating, frustrating puzzle to be solved that improves them and their lives in a way that few others can and brings a smile to their face when friends and acquaintances ask them about why they train, then you've probably found the right balance. Yep, I can attest to that. Some of the silliness that we go on with, I can definitely attest to that. Okay, this will be our last one for the day. Uh, Here's John again teaching at a seminar and he says... I teach Jiu-Jitsu backwards. Jiu-Jitsu always occurs in a sequence. The most common sequence begins by taking the opponent to the ground, then getting past his dangerous legs, then working through a hierarchy of pins that put increasing pressure upon the opponent, and then finally, using the pressure, finish with a submission hold. Most teachers of the sport teach in a way that reflects that fundamental sequence. Usually I do too. Most of the early lessons concern getting people to the floor getting past the legs and working through various pins. Submissions are taught as the end of the long chain of events, the icing of the cake, as it were. As such, the majority of training time is spent on the precursors to submission. I think in a standard class, this approach makes the most sense for a wide cross-section of students. When an athlete comes to me with ambitions to 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 become a champion, I begin with the end game, submissions, I put an extreme emphasis on the dark arts of breaking and strangling. I look to create a student who has tremendous confidence in their ability to finish an opponent should they be able to get into a finishing position. This creates a mindset in the student to hunt ruthlessly and persistently for submissions at all times. If a student does not truly believe they're capable of breaking or strangling an opponent, how hard do you think they'll push for the finish in competition? but if they truly believe they can finish anyone given the chance, they will find a way to get a finishing position or die trying. This creates a very different type of athlete with a very different mindset and approach to the game. Rather than see submissions as an afterthought to a sequence, try and see them as as the very soul of our sport and adjust your training regime accordingly, even even if just for a time. I'm certain you will find it fascinating and a rewarding change. All right, well, we're going to call it quits there. I think that's about an hour, guys. I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, I th- I think the stuff's great, and even just reading it is, is sort of motivating for me. If you enjoyed it, please let us know. Um, don't forget our sponsors, Endless Combat. Uh, go to endlesscombat.com, jump on there, buy some rash guards and shorts. Um, use the promo code at All if you want to save 10%, if you're looking for any jiu-jitsu, mixed martial arts training, some mission grappling, just to get fitter, just to hang out with some cool people, come down to Sydney West Martial Arts, um, check out a class. And, uh, you know, even if you're from another academy, come by, say hi. If you're in the neighborhood, we're out in Penrith in, in New South Wales in Sydney. And, uh, you know, we're always, always looking for new people to train with. Thanks, guys. Hope you enjoyed it, and I'll see you soon.